0: With all the changes the industry has faced over the past few months, empathy is probably the most important quality a retailer or a brand can demonstrate when it comes to their shoppers. Now more than ever, we need to put ourselves in their shoes and develop not only products, but solutions that will help make the consumer's lives safer, easier, and as close to a sense of normalcy as they can get. During my interview with Larry Levin from IRI, we discuss how consumers' needs and shopping behaviors have changed over the past several months as the pandemic continues to fluctuate from one segment of the country to another, and the lasting impact it'll have on how, when, and where they shop. We also discuss how retailers and brands can best accommodate these changes. But at the root of each of these recommendations, is the ability to have what Larry refers to as an empathetic ear. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us. My guest today is Larry Levin, Executive Vice President of Consumer and Shopper Marketing and Thought Leadership for IRI. And today we're going to talk about, you know, I guess the state of where consumers are at now at this point in the pandemic. So, Larry, thanks for joining me again.
1: Good morning, Joe. It's uh, always great to be here, and really appreciate an opportunity to sit and chat with you. Since uh, we usually sit and chat face to face or uh, right next to each other, it's kind of fun to be doing this on Zoom.
0: Yep, a little bit of a change, but you know we're all adapting. And uh, you know, one thing that's interesting is you know I talked to Joan. I interviewed Joan really at the beginning of all this of what might happen. So I'm glad to be talking to you guys again about where where we've come and, and where we're headed, but you know, it kind of seems like, you know, with the with the surge that's going on, we're back at square one. We're, we're you know, in some of these states are seeing bigger spikes than we originally saw in April.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say square one, I'd say square 1A. I, I like to refer to this year or this quarter in particular that ironically ends today as the quarter of the asterisk. Mm. And this whole year will be the asterisk. I mean, nobody really knows how we're going to come out of this, and it's going to be It's going to be a long haul, obviously, and I think uh, just as indicated what's happened in the last few days with states opening up and then all all of a sudden closing as fast as they opened up. I know out here in California just yesterday they closed bars, and um, I'm sure restaurants are going to follow suit pretty quickly. Um, It's a whole new mindset, and consumers are already telling us that in the advent of another pandemic surge later this fall they're going to stock up but they feel smarter and ready to stock up in a different way than they did because they're not going to be caught off guard this time. but it is uh, scary that you know the amount of people that have gone out and have now been exposed and you know exposures happening to people of all different ages so it's uh, you know this disease is not just for uh, the baby boomer unfortunately it affects everybody.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of the cases in the West and in the South are younger people. So hopefully they'll take some of the learnings of what we went through on the East Coast and apply them. But, you know, they kind of already didn't by opening up a little too soon. I mean, we literally just opened up restaurants for outdoor seating this uh, last week on Monday. And um, they're already talking about halting any further reopening. So like definitely for indoor. Uh, So it's, it's, you have that open question of what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. I think what's going to happen is, and it's already happening. There's going to be a group of people that rush back quickly, but there's also two thirds of the American population that we talk to say they're going to take a wait and see attitude. It's almost as if they're going to take the people who are going out now to the restaurants and they're the body shield. You go out there and you fight for me and you let me know what it's like. And when you you know, report back that it's okay, I, I might go. But it is kind of fascinating that you know, of the two-thirds of Americans who are going to go, more than uh, three-fourths of them say they're going to take a couple months. And so as a result, the restaurant industry is really um, at the mercy of the U.S. population. And that's why a lot of our food and beverage clients are reliant now on their in-home consumption to really help drive the um, drive the sales that are missing on premise. And so this is a whole new thing. And, you know, even on a personal level, we had reservations for a couple of restaurants here in LA this week that at the last second they canceled because they said, we're not ready to open. We thought we would be ready. So we're all learning on the go. And I think that's the really important thing here is we're, we're learning on the go and we have got to understand how to, help the consumer through this with an empathetic way and, you know, how do, we, how do we message this empathy to the consumer because people are struggling. I mean, we all know it. We know about the number of people who are, uh, who are either unemployed or furloughed that will probably become unemployed. I mean, uh, I saw yesterday Cirque du Soleil it furloughed a huge proportion of its uh, workforce and now is actually let them go. Mm-hmm. And is probably only going to come back to Las Vegas and Orlando, I think, in uh, um, you know resident type of events. All these people on the, you know that are not working is just going to create more havoc in the u s economy, and that's actually propelled us to look at an economic segmentation of the u s population because not all consumers are obviously created equal, and one of the things that we found, was in this economic segmentation, we have six different groups. Two of them are downtrodden and cautious and worried. And 40% of the U.S. population falls into those two buckets, downtrodden and cautious and worried. 9% are downtrodden. They are really sitting in a, in a very, very um, sad, precarious position. And, and 32% are cautious and worried. And so often, as you know, a lot of marketers talk about income segmentation and saying, if you make over $100,000, that's a good income. But the reality is 25% of the people in those two segments make over a hundred grand. So the, we, we have people really struggling today to figure out how they're gonna make ends meet. And we've been planning now, not just for the COVID environment, but for this long recession that people are, are embarking on. And how long will this, will this last? Not in, in a market that we cover, but I really wonder about what's going to happen in the real estate industry, in the real estate, especially commercial real estate. We walk around Los Angeles and we see hundreds of of places barred up right now. They're they're vacant because people aren't coming back, you know. And and when they start to come back, the brakes are put on. So it's a tough time.
0: Yeah, a lot of people reevaluating the space that they're going to need uh, because they're, they're seeing that they're operating and they can continue to operate virtually. Uh, I mean, our team is a great example. I mean, the, the, our marketing team have all, you know, well, all, all of us are working remote, but you know, we haven't missed the beat and other companies are seeing the same thing. And so they, they're going to really reevaluate, do they need all the space? Can they have some sort of a shared space where people come uh, one or two days a week, and you know, this way, it's one, it's less expensive for them, and two, they can maintain the social distancing. Right. So you're right; it's going to impact all of those different things.
1: Yeah, and you know, one of the big impacts that we've seen in CPG is, as we all know, the the growth in e-commerce mm-hmm. and e-shopping, and and more and more people are are moving toward either you know an Instacart type of a, a platform having. Uh, product delivered right to them or they're going to the store for click and collect Mm -hmm. and and also when when you look at that 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 build obviously happened over a long time and people were willing to wait three four days to get their groceries delivered in the heart of the pandemic because they didn't have to go to the store and fight the battle Mm -hmm. and and get out there and, and you know put their masks on put their gloves on get ready to and, and what that's even done now to the shopper who's going to the store is they're telling us that they're trying to get in and out as fast as possible, no surprise. And as a result, they're only going down aisles. They know they need things. And so is there, I think one of the impacts is going to be around new product development. And as you have new products that are launched, if you're not in an aisle that a consumer wants to shop, it may be difficult for them to notice you prior to the pandemic people would you know walk the stores and and do that treasure hunt to find a new product now if if you have a new product on aisle six and i'm going to aisle four and seven you're going to miss out on an opportunity to talk to me displays are going to be important and probably end cap displays it was really interesting too a couple weeks ago i was shopping at a ralph's in calabasas outside los angeles and I was really taken by the fact that Pepperidge had um, uh, shippers in front of every one of the cash registers at Ralph's Is a way to induce consumers to think about some of its snack lineup. So I thought Campbell's did an interesting way to go from register to register to register to let people know if you want some immediate consumption of some of our snacking products, Here's a great way to get them. You don't have to go to the snacking aisle. We're bringing the snacking aisle to you as you get ready to check out. Now, I don't know how successful it was, but I thought it was a really creative idea that Pepperidge had to put those, sh- those shippers out in front of the registers.
0: Now, uh, I'm sure that cost them uh, uh, some money to do that. What about for an emerging brand that, that's trying to uh, get seen and maybe is not in one of those popular aisles that you were talking about? What should they do?
1: I think emerging brands are going to really have to rely on their e-commerce platform Mm -hmm. to really be sure that they are out there and they're advertising, they're telling their brand stories because more and more people are going to rely on e-commerce or digital to help them either shop or plan for shopping. Mm -hmm. And so as an emerging brand, you've got to make sure your message is out there. And it's interesting because I think the, the bigger brands have done really well in in this environment, and we all know the stories. We've been watching closely the success of Kraft Macaroni and Cheese and the number of new buyers that came into Kraft Macaroni and Cheese in a very short window. But it was back to a, a trusted brand status. I know this brand. I'm going to revert to this brand to help me through a trying time. So we saw that with surges in products like Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. We saw it in products like Stouffer's uh are stoked for frozen entree so again coming back to tried and true really helped for a lot of consumers and I also like the way a lot of the manufacturers innovated on a dime and innovation is not always about just bringing out a new product it's about bringing out new pack sizes and I think Anheuser-Busch and, and Miller Coors did a really good job in the time that the pandemic was hitting and recognizing that consumers were going to want to stock up for the long haul and create bigger pack sizes and sold, um, you know, instead of selling a 12 pack of beer, maybe they're selling 36 and 50, you know, 50 can packages to accommodate the people that were stocking up. I was also taken by general mills and the, when I was in Ralph's, I noticed a lot of lay down bags of cereal. And these are three pound bags of cereal that I, I would normally associate with a bigger with a bigger box store like a like a club channel or maybe um, a smart and final but seeing that in a mainstream grocery store was to me another way of innovating on a dime and recognizing that consumers are not going to want to shop that often let me give them big bags of cereal to help them through this and you know we, we've seen pretty historically still that pantry stocking is still happening every happening every couple of weeks so having the right product in front of the right consumer at the right time is just more critical than ever. And I think manufacturers have done a great job of responding to that.
0: So talk a little bit about a little more about that. How are these consumers doing their pantry socking? You mentioned the larger sizes, you know, are they coming in? Are they shopping to kind of more be like in a prep mode where they, they, we've already been through this once before where we realize stuff can go out of stock. So are they tending to, are their pantry stocking behaviors like 10X? You know? Are they buying a lot more than uh, they used to during each trip? Oh yeah, definitely.
1: They're, they're, they're definitely buying a lot more. I mean, we've seen pantry stocking grow as a share of both trips and dollars. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing, and you, know, you, you can't go, you know, a, a page or two without seeing everybody baking. You know, mm-hmm. baking has gotten to be the big phenomenon now. As you know, as people are hunkering down, and so we do see a lot of pantry stocking. I mean, we know the stories about paper products, and the still, it's hard to find paper products when you go to the store. So, you know, there's a lot happening from pantry stocking to uh, for baking products for. Uh, you know, paper products like we know, but there's just, there, there's a lot going on in that. And we saw a growth in flour. We saw a growth in chocolate chips, all of the ancillary products that go to making baking mm-hmm. you know, a, a fun phenomenon and people are having fun on social media with it. Um, I think the whole idea about pantry stocking continues to be a critically important Avenue for being ready for the next breakout. Mm-hmm. Because people want to know that they can go to their closet and go to the garage and have plenty of paper towels, plenty of paper of um, toilet paper, hand sanitizer. They're not going to be caught flat-footed this time like they were last time. And um, then you have a problem, too, that a lot of our OTC clients are wondering when people are going to come back. Because at the beginning of the pandemic, I might have gone out and bought Tylenol or Advil or Aleve or... Um, or, or whatever but i can only take so much analgesic so when will people come back you know that's a that's a big concern a lot of otc manufacturers have in um understanding how to plan sales for the future because if i've stocked up um i'm i'm not going to be going through that product you know day in and day out like it will a cpg uh fast moving product
0: yeah I'm, I'm a good example of that too i mean I'm a typical New York City apartment dweller. So that meant just before the pandemic I had nothing in my fridge, nothing in the cupboards. I cupboard I ate out most of the time or I, you know I would just go run and get something. I've 30 restaurants right outside my door and I've had to learn actually how to stock up and I found I have multiple levels. I would have my doomsday stuff which is all of my canned items, the pasta, like the, the uh, ramen noodles, and uh, um, I guess some 236 packs, cases of uh, Cliff Bars. That's like if everything hits the fan and I can't go out for a month, I'm good. Then I would have like the secondary stuff, frozen vegetables and frozen meat. You know, I would just throw it in the freezer. I actually never bought frozen vegetables until this happened. And now I have a freezer full and I'm always maintaining it, you know, and then I may get some fresh stuff from time to time, but knowing that I have that backup, then also I would get online, I'd get like emergency, you know, the, the drink thing, I'd get a bunch of those. I get, you know, I got the vitamins, probiotics, all that stuff, like you said, and I've never, never done that before, but now that's kind of the way I look at it. But the other thing also is I've been shopping so much healthier. Everything I have in my fridge now is from the organic marketplace around the corner. One, because in the beginning, it wasn't crowded when all the major grocery stores had lines out the door. Granted, it is a little more expensive, but I'm not eating at restaurants, so it's actually cheaper. And uh, two, just wellness in general. I'm working out more. I'm doing more preventative kind of activities. And you know, so are you seeing a, a surge in that kind of behavior?
1: Oh, very definitely. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of self-care work, and it's really fascinating to me where more than a third of Americans think food is better medicine than medicine, and food is really becoming, obviously that critical partner to health and wellness. And it, And it's interesting that you talk about you're purchasing the frozen frozen vegetables and buying more and maybe seeing it for the first time, it kind of correlates with what I was talking about before Mm -hmm. with the growth in craft macaroni and cheese and lean cuisine center store is really taking off Mm -hmm. and and center store, which has been kind of the albatross of CPG for a long time is now enjoying out, you know, growth that it's not seen in years. Mm -hmm. And so people are mining that area for healthy eating. They're mining it for the ability to stock up for a long time, just like you, articulated and and to that point because we have become such a work-at-home culture uh, as as we talk to consumers about when they think they're going to head back to the office two-thirds of of American consumers think they will continue to work from home after the pandemic and in fact the vast majority of them want to work at home more than half the time and so as a result stocking up on food and having the right, the right healthy food to make it through the day is going to be critical. And, and, you know, what you said in your own way is very typical of what's happening in the marketplace and um, typifies the fact that as people stay home more often, they are going to eat healthier. But they're still going to indulge, too, and we're still seeing some treating areas starting to grow, particularly in chocolate and non-chocolate candies. Well,
0: I guess they want uh, something, you know, at the same time, the same part of self-care is also also mental well-being and yep. things like uh, uh, indulgent foods or maybe on the uh, health and beauty side, you know, a bath bomb or, you know, spa-like treatments kind of bring that sense of normalcy to consumers.
1: Yeah, e- exactly. And then it's also, again, the, the effect of the pandemic is it's caused so many more people to cook all their meals at home. Mm-hmm. And you know, prior to the pandemic, about a quarter of the population cooked ninety plus percent of their meals at home. Now, fifty percent of the population is doing ninety plus percent of their meals at home. Mm-hmm. So, it's been a little bit of a challenge for a lot of people to learn how to cook and to be creative. Uh, but it's introduced opportunities, I think, for manufacturers and retailers to kind of bring the consumer along and teach them how to cook and mm-hmm. show them and, and create some fun. And I think a lot of people are now, you know, they were doing their zoom dinners and these progressive zoom dinners and trying to bring some more fun into cooking. But again, it's changing a mindset. It's changing a way to show people how to cook, bring some creativity to it and enable, you know, a new mindset. And, And to that point, now that we're at the summer, besides just everyday barbecuing, we, we've got to understand how, how is this pandemic going to affect holidays? We, we came out of Memorial Day with 40% of the population doing something different than they did last year because they couldn't go to parties. Now we're on the cusp of one of our favorite summer celebrations with 4th of July this week. And 50% of Americans are doing something different than they did last year. And again, that has big ramifications for bars and restaurants obviously not being able to host as many people as they did even people having big barbecues not doing them the way they did in the past and so it's 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 teaching all of us to again be able to turn on a dime and serve the population in a way that they need to be served so that they could still feel some good quality in their lives
0: yeah and i think you brought up a really good point when you were talking about the uh um consumer education you know now that a lot of us are doing these things for the first time if brands and and retailers can put out content related to helping them to navigate this not just you know sure in cooking but also other areas like um let's say you know for a time people were doing things like different activities for general merchandise you know here's some uh chalk that we have. You could do these designs on the sidewalk like people were doing. You could do arts and crafts at home. Puzzles and toys. I was talking to uh, Bartel Drugs um, a couple of weeks ago and they mentioned that puzzles were, s- sales of puzzles and uh, games and things like that were skyrocketing. I mean, people are well, just sure. looking for things to do at home.
1: Yeah, it, well, exactly. I mean, it's bringing the party home. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. Bringing the party home. I, I know I got Three or four puzzles, you know, sent to me, you know, in, in that time because, you know, we had to try to build thousand piece puzzles. Good luck yep. with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing that's really interesting and scary because of the pandemic and the number of people that lost jobs, we have seen a continued influx, obviously, of price increases. Mm-hmm. And for so many consumers, it's, it's not just a perception, it's a reality. Yeah. And we've seen over time in this tracking that we've been doing, where from the onset, about 40% of, pop- of the population said they saw prices increase. The last time we measured it, three-fourths of the population saw prices increase. And so and that reality is there. Right? The, what we've been tracking over time in store shows about a 7 to 10% price increase since the pandemic. And that's opened up a whole new opportunity for private label. of the population that we've been talking to says that they either switched to private label because their national brands weren't available or they went to private label because they couldn't afford national brands. So I think it's, again, an interesting time for both the manufacturers and retailers to think about their product lineup, think about their strategies to accommodate in a very, very tight, tight pricing environment. Now, on the flip side of that, we were talking before about analgesics and lots of sales of um, of uh, you know, products like Tylenol and um, Inaleve and Advil, etc. There's also been, from what I understand, a growth in small pack analgesics because a lot of consumers may have been going into places like C-stores to get a, a pack of uh, maybe 10 pills because they can't afford the big pack of fifty pills, but they want to have ten or so on hand, and so there's been a big sale for small packs, and it's almost the inverse of what you would expect based on a lot of pantry loading that people are buying big t- big stock up items. But for a lot of consumers that are financially challenged, this becomes a great alternative. Let me go in and buy a small vial of pills just to have on hand in case I need them.
0: And and it's only going to get worse as the uh, the enhanced unemployment checks end the end of July. Yep. And we don't know if they're going to redo it or not. And they, they seem to be not moving towards that area. And, right. you know, with more and more people just out of work, I mean, that's. I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a domino effect once that happens.
1: Yeah, um, a, a big domino effect. And, um, and and that's why we think that the rec- it's not going to be a V recession. It's going to be a U recession. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a while to recover. I like to... Th- that I'd like to. Unfortunately, I kind of look at it like a goalpost and the crossbar is going to be very long before we start to see the upward swing again. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, what does this do for impulse products? You know, I mean, are they going to go away? I I can't imagine it would be easy to uh, sell an impulse item these days.
1: Yeah. You know, I think impulse, a great way to think about impulse is what we talked about earlier that Pepperidge is doing with, shippers in front of the checkout item and you know here's little packs of um, of goldfish and some of its other product lineup i I think impulse is going to be impacted by the fact that people are trying to get in and out of the of the line as quickly as possible if i'm doing e-commerce it's going to be incumbent on clients like hershey and mars and just born etc to have almost a pop-in uh, at the end here to rom- remind people that confections or other impulse purchases are great products as you're getting ready to check out. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing with e-commerce that's going to be really important is your presence on the list. You know, as I create an e- a, a shopping list, electronic shopping list, how will, how will I be able to unseat a product that's already there? Mm-hmm. If I'm a yogurt manufacturer and I've already checked my Chobani how will a Dannon or a play be able to unseat the incumbent? And, you know, is, is unless I have a very dissatisfying experience with a product I bought or, or I'm able to entice somebody with a great promotion, it may be really difficult to unseat somebody. And so it's going to be fascinating to see how brand stickiness is uh, even more cemented now in this new environment.
0: Well, speaking of the unseating, I know in the beginning of this, when there were a lot of out-of-stocks of one item, people would try another brand for the first time or an adjacent category, and yeah. that was kind of an opportunity, because if they happened to like that new brand or new product, they would stick with it. What are you seeing now in that area? Are they still doing that uh, when, when the out-of-stocks happen,
1: Oh, well, there's definitely a lot of brand shifting. That's what, as you said, that's introduced new brands to a lot of people that were in that category and their preferred brand wasn't there. And now it's a it's a two-way fight. Mm-hmm. The, the, the new The new brand wants to retain you as a consumer. And so what was your experience like? What do I need to do to keep you? The old brand needs to bring you home. And so they both have to figure out how do I make sure that I can win you back or keep you. And and so for a lot of these consumers, a lot of these consumer companies, this has become the opportunity to build a foundation because it's one thing to get trial. Everybody wants trial, needs trial, obviously, but you want to take that trial and build a long-standing relationship. You don't want a one-hit wonder. You don't want that, that one-time date. You want to be able to match that consumer for a long time
0: what about um, digital engagement, social media you know you mentioned e-commerce you know, but uh, you know has digital engagement become more important for these brands? I,
1: I think it's become vitally important because I think it's the way to, to build the engagement it's the way to let people know that you're out there again coming at it with an empathetic uh, ear for the consumer so that they, they see the value of the brands they understand you you know what they're going through, you're bringing the, you know, the best of your, of your brand to the consumer. And that's an important way. As I think about shopping, particularly about, particularly from millennial and Gen Z, it's a great way to get your brand story out there in front of them.
0: Except on Facebook. <laughs> Except, <laughs> Except on every, Facebook. Everybody yeah. seems to be pulling out of Facebook these days. It is but. the, uh, yeah the great migration right now. You know, the yeah. other
1: thing that's been pretty fascinating and we've been looking at is the growth of midweek shopping, you know, for, a, for a long time, this, the share of dollars in CPG has been dis, disproportionately driven on the weekends because obviously people had a lot more time to go shop on the weekends than they did to go during the week. But we have seen more than upwards of 30% of, of dollars now shifting to, uh, um, you know, from weekends to, to weekdays. And so more and more people are coming into the store buying during the week, probably for a couple of reasons. One is they have more time available to shop during the week because they're working at home. And I think that they feel like there's going to be better stock available if they come in midweek than they do on the weekend. So it's going to be interesting to see, again, if that becomes part of the new normal, too, because that has implications for store traffic and being able to, uh, you know, have enough product available for consumers as they're coming in. So yeah, I've been doing that. Watch.
0: I've been doing that as long as I've been working with ECRM, and you know, from home, I would yep. do my shopping like in the middle of the week in the morning because I know yep. nobody's going to be there, and that, that was right. the main reason. And you know, now we have other reasons, but yeah, that's definitely something that I would do all the time. I would never go into a grocery store on a Sunday, never. Right. <laughs> right. And so it's just it's too it's so much more convenient to just do it. Uh, and then as far as the, uh, out of stocks, I guess if I go in the beginning of the week, uh, it, it's different. I mean, a lot of the stores around by me get uh, delivery um, almost every day of the week. So yeah. out of stocks yeah. are pretty pretty much non-existent. But, uh, but yeah, it definitely has changed. Um, I've always shopped that way, but I could see other people doing the same thing. So what about uh, recommendations? What kind of recommendations would you have for brands, you know, in this you know during this time where we're at right now in the pandemic uh especially noting that you know in some areas it's uh spiking
1: well again i would uh, recommend you have an empathetic ear to the consumer as you are uh, advertising to them i would say that you think about what are the right package sizes to accommodate the, the stock up needs especially as we see a spike happening again i would think about your new product innovation platforms a little bit differently, almost take an opportunity to look back at 2008, 9, and 10 and what manufacturers did then to be successful and and some of what we're seeing in that time was premiumization. And it almost seems counterintuitive to talk about premiumization right now because we're talking about people cutting back on expenses, but in in the 2008 recession, we saw premiumization hit the market big time. Mm -hmm. A couple areas that were fascinating to us, that was about the time where Unilever launched P.F. Chang's Frozen, which is now part of the ConAgra family. When you when you look back then, P.F. Chang's Frozen was about $11 for a, two pa- a two-person serving. And that's expensive when you look at the competitive set of the Frozen door. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the fact that consumers might have been trading going to a restaurant, bringing it home, that was... Um, That was a great alternative because as a result, I could bring the goodness of professional quality restaurant home for a very affordable price. And for a lot of people that might've been an $80 dinner. Now I'm doing it for 20 bucks if I'm feeding a family of four. So that, that becomes a great alternative.
0: That's kind of like like what I mentioned with the organics, you know, I'll get, I got a uh, organic grass fed ribeye steak for $17. And, you know, it sounds expensive if it was compared to other steaks, but compared to me eating that in a restaurant, it's really cheap, and I'm actually saving money.
1: Yep. And another area that was was big then, that was about the time where Chobani hit the market. Mm -hmm. And Chobani was 40 cents more per serving than the mainstream products were at the time. But we know the success of Chobani. Consumers saw a need that gravitated toward it. So I think premiumization worked. K-Cups also hit the market right around that time. So again, I think can manufacturers thinking about a premium positioning. Mm-hmm. Think about where the dollars are coming from. If they're coming from out of home into home, consumers might be willing to pay more money, like you said, with organics. Think about the fact that more is more. And we, we had seen it where, where uh, Procter had uh, launched some, Uh, more, you know, heavier duty Tide products that enabled people to to wash in a bigger load. So maximizing their wash loads with with more detergent. We saw a lot of co-branding hitting in 2008, 9, and 10 where products like Crest and Scope came together or uh, Tide and Febreze, being able to take the benefits of a toothpaste and a mouthwash or a fabric softener and, and detergent giving me all-in-one products that did more for the money so I extend my dollar. So I think that was another big area of opportunity. Um, we talked before about pack size innovation. I think that's a big area where retailers can help manufacturers through a tough time with bigger packs so I don't have to go and replenish as often. And then private label. I, th- I think the private label manufacturers have a great opportunity now to be a trusted partner in providing high-quality products at a more affordable price for consumers. So those, those would be some things I would think our retail and manufacturing partners want to be empathetic to. I also think that the retailers have a big opportunity because, especially in the food channel, mm-hmm. lots of buyers have come back to that channel that weren't using it on an everyday basis. Um, are there opportunities now as you brought in new shoppers to solidify that relationship, that partnership, and uh, I, I think as we've been looking, about forty-five percent of dollars are coming to food. We're typically about thirty-seven percent go to food, so that's a big increase. And it's at the behest, obviously, of some of the other channels that are going to have to work to earn those dollars back. But for the food, the food channel's done a really good job. And it was interesting too because as we were looking at category changes, one of the areas that was winning in food over the over the onset of the pandemic was beauty Mm -hmm. and it was even though beauty might cost a little bit more in the food channel i think consumers thought i'm in the store already i'm going to pay a little bit more to avoid going to other channels so i don't have to get in my car and go to another store mask up glove up i could buy it here it might cost me a little bit more but i'm saving on gas i'm saving on time most importantly I'm protecting my health. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting just to see some of these categories that might not necessarily do as well in that channel doing
0: well. Huh. But yeah, that, that convenience is definitely a factor. Uh, I'd like to wrap up with your concept of providing solutions, not products, because you mentioned that in a blog post. And, and I think it's a, um, also a good add-on to some of the recommendations that you just talked about.
1: Well, I think that we at, we at IRI are providing really good solutions to people, to our, our clients, because we're looking at an overarching way for them to continue to win in the market and not to think about products from one element or another. And I think even from a manufacturer point of view, think of your products as solutions to problems for consumers and and bring those solutions. And that's, again, where I think empathy comes in. So I would, I would take that empathetic ear and you're, you're a, a solution to an idea, and, and I would go with that.
0: So sort of like a 101 meals you can create using a George Foreman grill in a frying pan, because that's well, basically what I do. <laughs> yeah, and, and
1: I, I think being able to leverage social content and seeing the creativity that's out there and the way people are doing it. I, I have a, a good friend who made a Nutella babka, you know, she, she, thought, instead of doing chocolate, I'm going to use Nutella. Yeah. She she is a, she's become an expert baker in Houston. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's kind of fun.
0: Yeah. And you can host, you know, a lot of people are doing these virtual things and, you know, I've heard of some, some retailers have hosted like a pancake party on yeah. Instagram, Instagram live where they actually, everybody was, uh, it was led by a chef and cause you know, baking and stuff. They, either a pancake party or a baking party where everybody, the families got together. They had the ingredients in advance, and they got together on a specified date and time and cooked pancakes or baked muffins together.
1: Exactly. Are, and that's what it's about. That, that's how people are getting through the pandemic, because they're finding creative ways. And you know what? What we're doing now with Zoom, thank God we have a platform like this, not just for business, but for social. Mm-hmm. because we all know about the family zooms the, the friend zooms and like you said this gives people an opportunity to show their creativity not just talk about it and it's been a, it's been an important partner i think for people to make it through this this crisis and i think we're going to be zooming for a long time
0: yeah i agree well uh larry it was great zooming with you today and uh, although i am looking forward to the when we do get the chance again to hang out in person
1: <laughs> yeah and if not let's have a steak let's get wayne let's get eric let's the four of us have a and Dan, mac let's have the five of us have a little snack there a you steak, go steak snack
0: we'll do it we'll do a uh zoom happy hour slash steak hour it sounds like a great time man <laughs> all right let's all right, do job. it i'll talk to wayne <laughs> happy fourth buddy All right, you too. Take
1: care. Uh, Take care.